Welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. First Timothy chapter five. We're going. We're going old school today. No screen time today, right? We are. We are lessening the screen time. There is no PowerPoint presentation. Can you hang with me on that one? Yeah. I'm, yeah I don't know. You might have to write a note down. You might have to write something down. Okay. If you're sometimes when a a, a slide will go up. I see some of you guys taking pictures of the slide. Okay, if you start taking pictures, that's going to be weird to me right now. Okay, um, so again, this could be a challenge for you, but you are up to the you are up to the challenge. I see that Josh V. I see you taking pictures of me already. I knew that was going to happen. Um, we're in First Timothy chapter five. We are in a section. Golly, man. Uh, how many people spend time reading without just reading through this? If you've read First Timothy, uh, what, what an amazing, first of all, just an amazing letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, specifically to Timothy, this young church leader, and he's really helping him out here uh, to learn, you know, how on earth do you lead a church and how do you lead people and what does God want? Um, so it, it's amazing. And then we get to chapter five and you'll look in your Bible and you'll go, oh man, we're going to talk about widows. And oftentimes it's very easy to go, that's not where I am right now. That doesn't pertain to me at this moment of time. And it's really easy to just kind of scoot on through. But the next couple of sections are really important because Paul is going to be talking to Timothy, not just about, about uh, uh, the widows in the church, but also he goes into elders and he goes into slavery as well. Right. Remember last week we talked about there's no place in the Bible that God dodges politics or hard issues or issues of our day. He doesn't do that. The difficult part is that we conform to him rather than remember, God isn't trying to win an argument. He's saying this is my kingdom. And there isn't a single soul that's been forced to enter into his kingdom. He just said, this is how it is. Okay, so there should be parts of what we read that we would go and should think, this is really strange in our world. This is weird. This is not how we do things in the world because he's talking about in his kingdom. And remember last week, we prefaced this chapter by looking all the way back at Genesis chapter 1 and seeing how God, through 10 acts of speaking, brought order and peace and life out of chaos, all right? And the interesting thing is, is he, continue, he keeps doing that with his people. He does it for his people to bring them into the promised land. Jesus comes in and what does he do? The same thing is he's taking and, and taking his people to church and saying, listen, the world around us 
is chaotic. It is not conducive to light and life. It's not conducive to any of those things. And so I'm going to have a place where I can call my people into that brings them out of chaos and into a place where life flourishes. Okay. And so when we read this, um, any part of the Bible, we have to keep in mind that God's purpose isn't just to create some new culture or some weird, strange, difficult culture. He's saying he's teaching us. He's teaching me and you what a community looks like that will flourish and what a community will look like that is conducive to life and to peace and all these things. And so there's things that we read and we, we may bristle a little bit. And quite honestly, that's pretty normal. All right. I always maybe worry a little bit if everything you hear in the Bible, you automatically agree with. I don't know. That's, I, I kind of question that a little bit because he's talking about something that is a very high calling for us. And he, remember, he's calling us out of the world we live in. And remember, we talked a couple weeks ago, right, that, that oftentimes what ends up happening is, is, is uh, the world starts pushing back when they find out we're devoted to something that's not in the world. Right. And it's too easy to become friends with the world and want everything to be great and all of my relationships to be perfect. Except when I'm devoted to God, the world will push back on that. We should be, you know, uh, aware of that. OK. And so hopefully we're keeping in mind that as we're reading about God's kingdom, that there are we're learning that there are parameters in the kingdom, there are roles in the kingdom, there are boundaries in the kingdom. This, this is entirely different. The kingdom of God isn't just people haphazardly scattered through the world that are just trying to make it. This is a completely different community, all right? And so let's read here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we're going to read, uh, this is what Cole read last week, okay? And he did it beautifully. We're going to read it again. Okay, verse one, chapter five, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and with all propriety, the younger women as sisters support widows who are genuinely widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents for this pleases God. The real widow, left all alone, has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so, that, so they won't be blamed. But if anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow should be placed on the official support list unless she's at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children and shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, feet, feet helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows... For when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. They're not only idle, but are gossips and busybodies saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry 
have children, manage their households, and give the, adver the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, she should help them. And the church should not be burdened so that it can help those who are genuinely widows. Okay, so there's a lot, there's a lot here. Where's a good starting place? This is always a good starting place. Is if it, it's never a good thing, probably, in, I can't think of many things in life that it's good to wait until you're in that scenario to begin dealing with that scenario. Does that make sense? Like, like sometimes it's really easy to go, well, hold on a minute. Like I'm, you know, whatever in my twenties or thirties or forties or whatever. And going, this might not pertain to me, but these lessons and these principles that I think we can draw out of here are principles that are, are required as disciples that we begin regardless of what our season of life is. All right, that's what's really important because here's the fascinating thing. Again, just picturing God and he's telling us, this is how it is in my kingdom. And, and understand, he's pulling out one demographic group. All right, in this particular section, we're talking about one demographic group. He's not saying this group is the group that should be taken care of and only this group. But he's saying clearly to the church in Ephesus, they would have fully understood this. This was something that was, that was real for them. Like they would understand when they heard this and they would go, wow, we have some, or we have some widows in our church. Wow, let's pay attention to this because we're getting a teaching about how God's kingdom works in different demographics. And it's very different oftentimes than the way we look at things. Let's kind of take a minute here and just go through and get an idea of what was it like for them, right? What was it like for them? So right here in verse one, the interesting thing about this, the first couple of verses actually do, they fit better in the previous chapter, okay? And if you hadn't realized that yet, chapters are invented, okay? Like the, there wasn't, the original writers did not put chapters or verses in, okay? That was like a human thing. It's fine. I like it because it helps me like find a place, but we don't have to be tied to the idea that, okay, Verse or chapter five of verse one has nothing to do with chapter four, verse whatever, you know, uh -uh. it's like meant to be this entire like read entirely through. And so when he tells Timothy, he says, don't exhort or rebuke an older man harshly. Right. He says, uh, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers and with all propriety or, or, or absolute purity, treat the younger women as sisters, and he's telling Timothy, remember what all the things he's been teaching him? He's telling Timothy, train yourself to be godly, set an example to the believers in life and love and faith and all of these things. And he's, and he's teaching him how to lead this group, all right? But then also Paul finds it necessary to go, with all of that being said, Timothy, with all that being said as you, as an evangelist of this church, all right, is the way that you enter into the community is as a family member in this community, right? So being an evangelist of the church does not allow me to go into the church and begin just like wielding all kinds of like attitudes and all that kind of stuff is going, no, if an older man needs to be spoken to, you, you speak to an older man as a father. He doesn't say that you don't talk about things, Right? 
But the church isn't meant, okay, because this is where we get messed up in this idea of clergy and laity, is this idea of, well, the church leader, he can go and do these things. And Paul's teaching him, like, no, the church needs to learn how to, like, behave as the household of God and all these things. But the manner in which it happens, and in particular, even as elders and deacons are, are, are you know, brought in and appointed, okay, even with that is we have to always be aware that, hold on a minute, Am I speaking to my older brothers as fathers? Am I speaking to the older women as if I'm speaking to mothers and my younger brothers and younger sisters as brothers and sisters instead of just kind of like the general? For the church, although there's a lot of metaphors about armies and military and all that kind of stuff, the church isn't the military. Okay? It's a family. And so... For whatever reason, Paul felt like I need to put this in here just so Timothy understands that as I'm as I'm teaching these things, listen, don't go out into the church and just start, you know, forgetting that we're building a family here. God is building a family. okay, with mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And there's a way that we treat and interact with each other that's respectful, that's full of dignity Right, so this is just an important just point right there. But then he goes in, he says, support widows who are genuinely widows. Okay, so let's stop for like one second. That should be simple to see. Like it would be, to me, could be fairly simple to go, you're a widow or you're not a widow. And he says, no, no, support those who are genuinely widows. And I'm thinking, that's okay. And he has a definition for that as he goes on, okay? Again, it's that idea of coming and being an apprentice and a learner and going, okay. He says in verse 4, If any widow has children or grandchildren, they must learn to practice godliness toward their family first and to repay their parents for this pleases God. And every parent in the building is like, amen to that. that that's what I want to hear when I come to church. Okay, I want to hear about some repayment from my children. Okay, but but think about this for a second. Okay, we're talking about the kingdom of God. Okay, this is a very large step away from the American experience. Have you been preparing? I'm asking myself this question. How am I preparing to take care of my parents and my in-laws? Have you prepared for that? Because he's saying here, he's going, hold on a minute. In the community, there will be widows. And there will be some widows that have family. And here's the thing. As a community, is it's very important that their children and grandchildren understand that we're going to take care of them. Like that isn't a community support issue. He's actually saying that what pleases God is for children and grandchildren to repay their parents. Okay. Does he mean like just you send money? No, 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 no. He's not talking about that. But he's saying that, listen, the way we view things oftentimes is this idea of, okay, now I have my family. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, my birth family won't bug me anymore. And, you know, and I can go and do different things instead of kind of there's a shift of going, there's going to come a time in every family when it's shifted. And we're going to go, okay, now come and let us take care of you. 
We, we want you to know that this pleases God to take care of you, to our parents, okay? And so, again, this may just be mind-blowing right now, okay? Because you're going, hold on a minute. How am I supposed to pay for my cruises that I want to go on? How am I supposed to pay for the neat things? Man, when, when the assumption oftentimes as Americans is we get married and then it's like, how many great vacations can we go on? How many great cars can we buy? I don't want to drive around in some kind of jalopy kind of thing, you know, where the wheels are falling. Do they use that word anymore? In, my, in California, that meant like a, like a janky car, okay? But, but here's the thing is, is going, no, 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 no. But this is mind-blowing. Can you imagine? I want you to imagine a community. And you enter into that community, and it's people who are so intent on pleasing God that you could meet somebody in their 30s or their 40s or their 50s, and they are planning on helping their families with their money. Would, would that blow your mind? That we would honor the family unit so deeply. That would be mind-blowing in our world today. But he goes on. He said, uh, the real widow, okay, so he's getting into this definition, left all alone, has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. So let's get a really good idea of what first century widowhood looked like, okay? Remember, there wasn't life insurance, okay? If your husband passed away, you didn't have life insurance. You didn't have social security. You didn't have, it was one of those things oftentimes Families of multiple generations would live in the same place. So now all of a sudden, if there's no family left and there's just widow living by herself with no means of having food, getting food or medical help or any of those things. All right. Can you imagine the level of vulnerability there? OK, because it's so important that we understand this idea because the church is going, hold on a minute. There are genuine widows that the church community must take care of. But it's really important. And he says, actually, the real widow, it's even more. So here's what's fascinating is you have your circumstances that happen where her husband has passed away. She has no family, no kids, no grandchildren, nobody to take care of her. OK, but here's what's interesting is that the widow is putting her hope in God that that's what she's known for. For, for prayer, okay, and continues night and day in her prayers and petitions. This is somebody who's amazingly faithful, who's in a rough place, but when you talk to them, they go, I'm putting my hope in God, and I'm just praying, and I'm trusting Him, and I know, I know He's going to take care of me. He's not going to leave me alone here, okay? Verse 6, however, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives, Command this also so they won't be blamed. Okay, so, so we got to stop a second. Because this could become very, very like um, just uncomfortable. Okay, this could be something where, if, again, these are those little sections right here that will challenge the unity of a group. All right, because there's a way that we can think a certain way. 
And going, well, well, Keith, how much of this is like even like pertinent to us? Well, the truth of the matter is it will become more pertinent to us. We don't know whose neighbor is going to come out who's a widow. We don't know things. I mean, the idea of reading this from a standpoint of going, well, we'll get to it when we get to it, just isn't something we want to be able to do here, okay? But here's what's fascinating is there's like, we're going to start to see there's condition on this. Okay, I want you to just kind of examine yourself. Does that make you feel a little bit weird? Like a little tough? What do I mean by condition? Okay, is, is they're saying that there's genuine widows who, who absolutely need support and they're faithful and they're hopeful. But then there could be widows who aren't faithful and aren't hopeful. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? Okay. But, but again, I want you to zoom back out because how, what he's talking about in the church family is no different than what we should be doing in our own family. It's so easy. It is so easy for, for us because here's the thing is, there isn't anything I don't, I, that would make us feel better as disciples or as a church to go, man, somebody has a need, here's money for that need. And everybody feels good about that. The person getting the money feels good. The person giving the money feels good. The church can even be into that and go, look at all of the money that we're giving. But he's going to be describing this as a spiritual issue. So even if somebody's in our family, all right, if they're deciding I'm not going to be with the family, I'm not going to be hopeful and I'm not going to be faithful. That requires another conversation. Okay, so again, this isn't just this idea of, oh, man, there's a widow, there's a need, here's money. Okay, this is, this is really, and it can be very emotional as well. Um, so he says, command this also so they won't be blamed. But if anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, so I want you to think about that. That, that is strong, strong writing right there. Yeah. Okay, he's saying if you don't take care of your own household, meaning, and again, I know for us here, we think our own household is just the people who live under our roofs. No, it's immediate family, meaning that's more than one generation. It may not mean the third cousin. But it means our immediate family. It means multiple generations here. And, and so why is this difficult? Is because it could very well be that myself and us as a church could be, could be on a road, on a journey towards becoming worse than an unbeliever based on how we are right now. Because what happens if we get to this situation and we go, oh man, I've blown everything. I never even thought about helping my own family. It's, like, it's kind of like my own family should help, their own, help themselves. And we get to a place where we're going, oh man, I have squandered everything. And now it's not okay to go, man, I'm really sorry that I squandered everything. That's because, so now I can't take care of you. He's like, no, no, no. My choices put me in a position to behave worse than an unbeliever. 
Can you imagine that? Could you imagine that in the church? And he's saying, well, here's the way. Okay, so, so what I'm hearing is something really challenging, which is, man, there's going to need to be some thought and intention and prayer put aside because having family isn't just kind of like being together. Man, we're talking about this is a part of the king, this beautiful kingdom of God where people are taking care of one another and they're thinking about one another and they're preparing ahead of time and not just kind of squandering things in the moment. Okay. So this is a cool thing, right? Verse 9, no widow should be placed on the official support list unless she's at least 60. So this is an interesting thing. Um, that You had this kind of ministry said that you could be put on for this support, and it said no widow should be put on unless she's at least 60 years old. The, here's the interesting thing about the Bible. The Bible oftentimes does not like put exact dates and numbers and all those kind of things on things, but... Most people presume that that was kind of the cultural like age of being old. I hate to say that. I'm getting closer to that. Okay. I know, right? 60 is the new 50 and all those things. I get it. But I'm just saying it is here. It's uncomfortable to read, but it is. Okay. It says, don't, unless she's at least has been the wife of one husband and is well known for good works you know, there's a lot of questions that go into that, right? Because, um, again, I think we have to acknowledge that not being in Ephesus makes this a tad bit more difficult, okay? Because he's going to end up telling younger widows to get married again. But he's saying to be put on the list of widows, only be married once. You're going, hold on a minute there. That, that's tough to understand, Okay. Those are the things that I'm going to just set off to the side of me not being in Ephesus, okay? Is they would have understood this, you know, and so we keep reading here. And uh, so don't put her on the list if she's, unless she's at least 60, has been the wife of a husband, is well known for good works, okay? So we're, again, we're seeing this isn't so much the worldly circumstances, but the spiritual health. She's known for good works, She's brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. All right. That's, that's pretty fascinating. I don't think, it doesn't seem to me that she started being this way after her husband passed away. All right. This was, you know, and, and again, this isn't what she's doing here isn't, a difficult thing. It's a decision thing. She's made a decision to live this way. But refuse to enroll younger widows for when they're drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. Okay, so let's... What, he, what he's saying here is, is there's some kind of like agreement between the widows and the church. Okay, genuine widows are going to be supported in every way. They're going to be put into a ministry. Oftentimes, many people believe that their ministry, they were asked to pray all day. That's what they were asked to do. Potentially even helping with orphans and orphan ministry and these different things, okay? And so what he's saying here, he's like, younger women, here's the reason why we don't put them into that is because they may make a pledge. 
and go, no, I want to be in this ministry. They may make that pledge, but they're a younger widow. And then time goes on and they're like, man, I really want to get married again. And he's saying that's normal. In fact, that's fine. In fact, he says, no, I encourage younger widows to marry again. All right. So again, the the condemnation here isn't about being married again. The condemnation is is making an an agreement with the church and then saying, oh, no, 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 let me back off of that to go do this. Okay. so he's just saying, hey, don't enroll the the younger widows for these reasons. Okay. Um, at the same time, here's the thing that can happen. All right. They learn to be idle going from house to house. Not only idle, but are gossips and busybodies saying things they shouldn't say. All right. So understand when this is being read to the Ephesian church, there's people in the church going, he's talking about me. Okay, people are hearing this. They're going, oh, my goodness, I, uh, younger widow and going from house to house. And I say a lot of things and a lot of stuff's really not worth saying. I shouldn't say it. And it's kind of gossipy. And he's saying, hey, man, this is this should not be. In any regard, right, this isn't just for the younger women, but he's saying this is what happens uh, for some have already turned away to follow Satan. Um, if any believing woman has widows in her family, help them so that the church should not be burdened so it can help those who are genuinely widows. Okay. Um, and so, again, we've zeroed in to this, to this demographic. Okay. <laughs> And for them, they were hearing things. And quite honestly, what they originally heard probably would have been taken a tad bit more emotionally than we would take it. Okay, we're we're separated a little bit from this. But there are some amazingly like challenging principles in this section right here that I think all of us, man, this is really tough. But I think this is where the word calls us to repentance. Okay, so what is this? What are these like principles that we can draw out of this is uh, here's the thing that has come up a couple times in verses four and in verses eight is disciples take care of their families. This is every one of us in here. This is from the youngest to the oldest is this idea of when when God originally said, man, I made man and I made woman and it was very good. Now go and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. He's saying, I'm making family. I'm telling you, go make families. Make lots of families. Make beautiful families. Because this idea of good news is going to first and foremost be permeated through those trusted relationships in these family units. And how perfect is it, right, that God built a family in a way that needs would be met throughout the generations. All right. How perfect is that? And at the same time, God understood circumstances happen where there will be people sometimes that are left alone. Like that happens at times. Right. But this idea of honoring the family and having a kingdom view of my family isn't just about having my children uh, get old enough to then let them go out of the house and move on and make their own family. It's this idea of this understanding God's view generationally of what family is. Disciples do this. Children and grandchildren take care of the older. There's a number of implications about this. Okay, so this is again, this is for the young folks in here. The implications are, am I being um, intentional and thoughtful and prayerful when it comes to how I use my money and my time, how I interact with my family spiritually? 
okay? Because this is what we're being called to, okay? And this is tough because it's, we're being kind of told the American adventure of family is kind of a smokescreen for worldliness, okay? And that doesn't mean if you go on a vacation that you've, you've ruined your family and you're an unbeliever. Don't, don't hear that, okay? But this is radically different to begin this intentionality of a generational view of taking care of my family. Okay, we see this disciples take care of their family. What's the second principle is this. The church isn't the first stop for financial support. Okay, remember we talked about our Thursday. We're doing our, our amazingly exciting budget talk that we do each year. And by the way, that was Byron and Linda's first thing they ever came to. And I think they might have been the only people to come back who were visiting the church on that night. Okay. Um, but, but here's the thing is oftentimes we do see like our church contribution and all those things as a one-stop shop. Is, oh, I give one contribution and it should cover everything. And if anybody has a need at all, they go to the church and the church, if they don't give them the money for it, what's wrong with that church? Except in this simple paragraph right here, we're told there are a number of different layers that go on prior to ch even church financial assistance. Does that mean the church should be stingy and the church should be, you know, like super tight fisted? But no, but we have to be stewards of money as well. And there's this lesson. And again, this is a tough lesson is a need, just a need by itself oftentimes doesn't need just money thrown at it, okay? But I will tell you there's a philosophy that's interesting, okay? I, I think it can be very easily divided. There could be some people in here of just like, no, we do that. There's another group in here that's probably going, no, you know, I mean, teach a man to fish and he eats every day, right? If you give a man a fish, he just eats for that day, okay? And that's one of those things too. But here's the thing is, in a family, sometimes you have to give a fish until they start catching fish, do you understand what I'm saying on that, okay? Is we can get kind of twisted on that. But the point isn't even, let's make this situation bearable or better. There's a distinctly spiritual issue underneath this. So when there's a need, it's not that the church doesn't help or family doesn't help, but it's the idea of, hey, let's talk about what the spiritual implications are of this. Because there may be some repentance that's called to, okay? So, for instance, like if, let's say William comes to church and says, man, I can't afford to pay off a bill this month. All right? And, and it would be great. Go, Mike, scratch him out a check, man. Boom. Okay? And that'd be great. And we would all go, look how awesome we are as a church. We take care of one another. And then William's like, well, yeah, but I, um, you know, ate at Rick Irwin's like seven times this month. You know? I bought a, you know, a new car. And, uh, you know, whatever, joined some exclusive club or something. All right. Do we can we all agree? OK, that is not a need. OK, can we all agree that it would be wise to go? Hey, hey, William, where, where did your money go? Oh, uh, man, I don't know. I just whatever. I bought out a store or something. And going, okay, here's the deal, man. <laughs> Let's find another way to get you this money. Or you might just need to face the wrath of your landlord. Sorry. Okay. And you wonder what you go, man, Keith, that's so mean. But you know what? Our kids will need to hear that sometimes. Okay. 
My mom, I mean, when I was in college, my mom gave me, I got $70 a month to cover everything. So that was like, if I wanted to buy toothpaste, deodorant, shampoo, like all of the toiletries, plus if I wanted to go out to eat it all. Okay, so I had $70. And then my friend, I just got it. It was in the, got my, got the money in my account. It was like the first day of the month. And my friend said, Keith, there's this thing downtown, this thing that's called bungee jumping. And you know how much it is to do it? 70 bucks. And I'm like, I got 70 bucks. <laughs> what a coincidence. This is amazing, right? And so I went down there, and this was the old school bungee jumping where they just had a crane with a cage and just like lifted you up in the air, and, and they had like a bunch of bungee cords tied together, okay? And so we went and did it. I called my mom up. I said, Mom, I need another 70. Well, how come? Well, I just bungee jumped and I used the 70, and then she hung up, which, you know, and, and she's like, it's kind of like you. Dude, you figure it out, right? And, you know, I don't want to tell you the end of the story because that would ruin the point, okay? But, you know, the point is my dad was super proud of me, okay? And I think he gave me 100 bucks. So. Anyway, um, so I think we're in agreement on that. I think it's uncomfortable sometimes to have conversations when there's a need about, like, how did you get to this need? And sometimes the need is legitimate. And sometimes the need is, is you, know, necess- you know, it's like needs help immediately. But sometimes it might not be too, okay? And so we're talking about a healthy family. So the church isn't that first stop shop. And here's the interesting thing too. Have you noticed reading this that there are conditions placed on getting support? Okay, so he already said like, hey, you know, it's not that... It's not that Paul is even telling Timothy, we'll never help a younger widow. But he's saying, no, we're not going to support them completely in this endeavor. Like, we, we'll, we're not going to withhold all of that. But there's conditions, even for genuine widows, there's conditions. And, and that can be something that makes us all feel a little bit icky. Okay, is this idea of, you mean following Jesus has conditions? Okay, and... and Depending on what your background is, you're thinking in your head right now, no, 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 Keith, you don't understand. God's love is unconditional. Okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, before me or you were born, God had already determined determined for his son to die on a cross and to rise again for everybody. That's before me and you did anything or met any requirements. God's love is unconditional. Right? Discipleship in Jesus is conditional. Okay, I want want you to think about that for a second because sometimes this takes us off guard and go, what do you mean? There's conditions. And then when all of a sudden we get held to account, it's very easy to go, well, man, why is everybody getting upset at me? And why is it, you know, man, we're disciples. We're just trying to make it. No, 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 there's conditions. Right, Matthew 16, anyone who wants to follow me, anyone must die to himself, must take up his cross and follow me daily. There's conditions to that, okay? And if you're thinking, well, man, that's works-based, and that's, no, 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 you don't understand. None of that is works-based salvation. It's simply the decision that I'm going to live for my king rather than for myself. And I'm going to live that way. Like, my decisions are going to be that way. I think sometimes it's the idea we get caught in the middle of going, I really want to make this decision, but I'm going to stick to my worldly decisions. 
I think that there's, there's kind of this third group that can happen of the idea of I want to do what's right, but I'm still obeying myself, okay? That's not a disciple. That's very important to understand, all right? We aren't saved by intention, okay? It's this idea of truly, this is, this is truly life in Jesus is going, no, I died to me, and I live for Jesus, right? There are conditions abounding. Matthew 16, we saw conditions for leaders, couple chapters before this, right? So here's the thing. We've been talking for about a year on this idea of praying the Lord's Prayer. All right. My hope is, and I think just talking to more and more people, like this is happening in our lives. Like we're praying, like our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. What we're reading here is his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, this is how it is. And it may sound different than the world, and it should, because it's different. It's better. This is where life flourishes, okay? And so what's important about this chapter is this is really going to require us to go back and be a people of meditation on this, of prayer, of thoughtfulness that leads to obedience. Because everyone in here, you may land on a different place in this, in this particular section. You may land on a place where you're like, man, I could be really, I could be the widow, or I could be this, or I'm this person, or I'm the, child, I'm the child, okay? But it's this idea of taking some time of meditation, of prayer, of thoughtfulness that leads us to conformity and obedience that's so vital to this chapter. Because again, if we wait then all of this becomes chaos. All of this becomes chaos. But again, that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC. 